Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Koji Aoki. Welcome to the podcast, Koji. Hello. How you doing? Um, I'm doing good, and it's good to have you. Um, listeners, um, we're going to talk about Koji's journey with pornography. He's one of these brave people that step forward and are um, willing to share their story to help others. And so our joint prayer, and we offered a prayer before we recorded, is that what Koji shares will help you if you're walking this road, trying to end pornography use, or if you're a parent or a local leader or a coach or in any other role, that the things that Koji shares will help you help others. Um, I've known Koji for quite a while. Um, in fact, um, just how we connected, well, I'll tell you, recently we reconnected because one of my guests who talked about his journey ending pornography use, one of the comments was talking about Sarah Brewer coaching and how helpful that had been to some comment on some Instagram or Facebook post. And so then I went to Sarah Brewer's website and one of the testimonials on the website is Koji Aoki, who is a young man, not a young man anymore. He's 27 who grew up in the same high school and has been friends with our family for a long time. So in fact, when I messaged Koji on Facebook and messenger, um, the prior message was from 2013, nine years earlier, talking about mission prep. And so a lot's <laughs> happened in those nine years. Koji did serve a mission in Lima, Peru, North. He got married um, last September of 2021. He graduated from the University of Utah. Tell our listeners what you graduated in, Koji. Um, I graduated in a major in kinesiology, so exercise and sports science. And tell our listeners where you live now and what you're doing. So I live in Portland, or well, actually, I live in Vancouver, Washington. I go to school in Portland, Oregon, in a chiropractic school. Um, it's called the University of Western States. So I'm in. I'm going to be entering my third year soon. So that's great. How when do you graduate? I graduate next year. That's great. Um, one of the things since we've been Facebook friends for a long time, but I haven't had a conversation with Koji about this at all. Um, and somewhere past after your mission, you became a serious um, athlete um, running um, Ironmans. Running probably isn't the right word because it's a <laughs> it's a triathlon. But tell us, um, you've done a full Ironman triathlon, two of them, and a half Ironman triathlon, two of them. Um, just. Tell our listeners what a full Ironman triathlon is and the two that you've run and any thoughts you want to share on that. Um, so uh, an Ironman triathlon, a full length is 2.4 mile swim. Then you follow that with a 112 mile bike. And then after that, you do a marathon, which is a 26.2 mile. So um, my first two, I kind of jumped into the deep water after I did a half Ironman. I was like, oh, I can do a full. And the next year I trained and I did it in, um, Lake Placid, New York. And then after Lake Placid, New York, I was lucky enough and I was able to qualify for Kona. Um, for people who don't know, it's Kona is the island of Hawaii and it's where the world championships of Ironman is held. And I went there and I, I'm hooked. I love it. It's really fun. And right now I don't really have the time being in grad school and 
the rigorous of that. So I don't really have the time to train, but hopefully after I'll be able to pick it back up and keep doing it again. Um, I don't know many people that have run the Kona um, full Ironman triathlon. I knew you had to qualify for that. And I think, I assume it's sort of the, the very top event. If you're into your sport, it's the crowning event to be able to participate in that. Is that true, Koji? Um, yeah, I would say, yeah, you, you do have to place, you have to take first or second in your age group at the Ironman that you go to usually wow. first. And then, then you're going to go there and you have everyone from all across the walks of life, you know, that do everything. And then that are from everywhere, you know, every country. So it's, it's, or a lot of countries. It's cool. And once you went there, is the goal just to finish or do you, is it still competitive? You want to like win your age group or place in the top or is it just i want to enjoy the experience well it was my first one a lot of people go there and it's a lot cutthroat you know they want to win and do really well for me it was my first time and i know within me i'm going to qualify again i want to um and i just went to have fun there and it was really really electric i my family went I learned, um, Jake Jones, he went with me yeah, Jake Jones. and it was really, really fun. Yeah. It was really great. Well, respect for what you're doing. I've, as a prior marathon runner, I have a little flavor for that world, but I can't imagine doing what you've done and then starting a full marathon. That's what's just blown my mind about those few of you out there that have done what you've done. So and I bring that up, listeners, to just give you an idea that Koji's just a um, terrific young man, um, just a great family's youngest of four. I may have mentioned that. Wonderful parents that my wife and I have known throughout the years. I think I mentioned our kids and Koji and his family. We've all gone to the same high school. Um, so when I came across Koji's um, journey with pornography, I, I recognized that this um, impacts some of the best of the best. Um, this isn't, and I love, and I think that's an important thing for all of us to understand. And Koji's been willing in this video and in this podcast, he's going to do pretty open and honest. And I don't sense there's a lot of shame. This is just part of Koji's past and something that he worked through, but he had to develop perhaps different tools um, along the way that I think our joint hope is what Koji's learned because he's walked this road for quite a while as it will help you. And um, I've learned that there's different tools that are needed to solve this. So at this point, maybe you can just start with how you got into it. Um, just wherever you want to start, Koji. Yeah. Um, so my journey with pornography has been a, a long time coming. Um, I started looking at porn when I was, I think it was 12 or 11 years old. I still vividly remember um, starting and being curious at that, at that time. Um, I didn't really know what I was doing. I, I've been reflected a lot on that and it's mostly out of curiosity that um, I was a, I was a swimmer. I've been a competitive swimmer my entire life. And because of, I was fortunate. I did really well as a young kid. I started to train with the high school team so I was a little 11 year old, um, kid, 12 year old kid in the summer, um, practicing with the high school team. So I would be in the locker room with high school kids who are seven, 
um, years older than me, a lot of seniors. And so I would be not only be challenged with them physically, but at the time I was challenged a lot of things mentally that I didn't really understand. Um, and I think that just how it, it happened, you know, it's just, I blamed that a lot. I remember a long time ago, I blamed that young kid, but I finally have been grateful now for that young kid of just doing the best that he can. Um, so I remember it was at the Murray, um, aquatics club, Mac, we called it, it was our competitive team. And, um, there, I just, a lot of the, the guys in the locker room would start talking about like who they were dating or what they would do on the weekends. And then they started talking about masturbation and porn. And I didn't really know what that was at all. And that's when I just took it upon myself to just, just do. And then I, I mentally got hooked because I was like, okay, this, this feels good. And I just, just did it. And I didn't really know I, I knew it was bad. I, cause I've heard about it. Um, I think, and I think that's what I, at the time, if I was that little kid, I would remember that, you know, I didn't really think that I was doing it maliciously over time or anything. I was just, I was just doing it. Then as time as years passed, let's say I was probably in junior high and high school. Um, I still kept swimming, still kept doing things, but that's when life gets really hard. You, you know, you get out of elementary school, you don't have recess anymore. And you have to just go to classes all day in junior high school. And I think at that time I started to really use it. And at the time I didn't, I didn't really understand what I was doing. I just thought it was just like a habit. You know, I was, over time, once I got to high school, I thought I was addicted um, because I didn't know else how to put it, which coincidentally, I was not addicted at all, but thinking that I was. And that's when I would say in high school is where all like the shame started to come. And I can't, I've thought, I, I can't really pinpoint um, where I have thought in my journey, if it's been at going to church or leaders or friends or even my own self-shame um, that made me feel so shameful. Um, and that's where, because a lot of things would, would come and I knew what I was doing was wrong and I would get mad at myself um, and then I was so shameful that I, I didn't even tell the bishop. And I didn't even talk to the bishop or talk to anyone about it. So as anyone knows, the more secrets that you keep, the more that it just eats you inside um, and eats you inside so much. And so I didn't really explain it to anyone. And so I felt like alone, honestly, because no one ever talked to it. My, my brothers, I didn't really speak to my family about it at all. And so I just thought I was this weird anomaly that. I couldn't really control my own desires per se. And I didn't talk about it with my friends, you know, it wasn't talked about really at all. And so I honestly felt like alone. And I think even more shame came from that. So 
I would say the first time I really tried, the first time that I really tried to stop, you know, there was bits and bouts that I would try for a month or, and I would go good for like maybe two months or three months and then I would come back. But probably it was in my senior year in 2012, I think. Yeah, it was in 2012 or 2013. It was the general conference that announced that um, uh, men could leave or boys, young men could leave at, as soon as they got out of high school, the age change. Um, and I still remember that vividly. I remember that weekend. Yeah. Your life Um, just changed. (laughs) Yes. uh Uh-huh. And I was, um, I actually went over to my friend's house and I'll say these names because you know them. I went over to my friend, um, Haley Eldridge house after general conference on that weekend. And of course me, you know, I didn't watch general conference at all. I I didn't watch it. So I was honestly, I think I was mowing lawns. Um, and I didn't even know. And I was just talking with Haley and, um, we were just talking about things. And then my other friends came over like Zeke Richards and Spencer Thurgood and Jake Jones. And they were all saying, you know, I'm going to go. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, we're going to go on a mission. And I was like, oh, okay, when are you? And they're like, we're going to go once you graduate. And they're like, didn't you hear the age change? And I was like, oh, whoa, I did not hear this at all. I don't know that this, this thing happened. And for me, I was happy on the outside and like saying like, I'm going to go, but inside I felt like terrible. I had like a rock in me that just, it was just a punch to my gut. And I was like, in me, I was so worried. And I was like, what am I going to do? I can't go on the mission because of my porn problem. Um, and honestly, if it wasn't for my friends at that time, all of my friends, my best friends, especially the, uh, the guys, if I did not have them in my life of people to look up to, I wouldn't have gone on my mission. Um, I know that because of their examples of I didn't even talk to them about porn, but just who they were um, in general, like I would not have taken that one step to first completely talk to my bishop. So, and I think for a long time, I was going to talk to my bishop. I just remember it now. And I didn't talk to my bishop because my bishop was my dad. Um, And so I didn't want to talk to my dad because I had so much shame from that subject. And so um, I decided to still do it. And so I went and had a meeting with my dad and I spoke to my dad. And I think my dad really um, did the best that he can. And he was really helpful with me coming to him. But I remember at that time, I was a naive child and he told my mom and I was I was just very, because uh, he told me you needed to tell your mother. And so and my mother, I don't know if he told her exactly or if my mom just knew, because I feel like moms know everything. And um, I remember that that time I was able to work with my dad or the bishop and work with then my stake president, who was very helpful to help me at that time that I felt was get clean. Um and I, and I was, but it wasn't fixing the root problem of why I was looking at porn. 
um, at all. And so I went on my mission, served my mission, best two years of my life. You know, I love Lima, Lima North. Um, I, I loved all the people. I had the best experiences on my mission. Um, and I coincidentally at the time, me looking back, I still in my root a problem. Um, and what that was, was my body image. Um, so if we want to then rewind, um, ever since swimming as a young kid, I've always been a bigger kid. Um, for swimming, I, I still was in shape, um, not, um, but I still wasn't like the kids when I was younger that would go to sectionals or nationals. Um, I was always just not fast enough or really close. And um, it really got to me. And growing up, I always felt like I was the, the kid that was friend of girls and not the actual one that was um like wants to like kiss and things like that and so i think that's where a lot of my shame stemmed from um in high school years um a lot and i didn't i didn't really understand you know i just thought that's just just hard things that you have to go through um and so i still had that problem of of body image and i still remember that my family um, it's nothing bad, but I was, I, I ate a lot. Cause you, if you know, swimmers, swimmers eat a lot because working out all the time, but I wouldn't eat the right foods. And I, um, would be called choncho or pig, um, by my family, just as a joke. And I remember between all, um, my family or maybe friends, I don't, I can't quite remember said that, like, I was going to gain the most weight on my mission. And I was, I'm a very, very, um, I hate being told what I'm going to be doing. Um, and I was, I'm very <laughs> stubborn. <laughs> you can ask my wife on things. And so I still had that shame. So when I was on my mission, even though I was porn free, I still, I still had that body shame. And to the point I started to actually, um, I started to like, I wouldn't say starve myself, but I started to deprive myself of food, of nourishing my body correctly. Um, cause I was so focused on the fact that I wasn't going to gain any, um, uh, uh, like weight on my mission. Um, and so like I went on my mission at 160, I went out on 160 or 165 and I came back. No, I went at 162 pounds and I came home at 132. Wow. And I'm, I'm, I'm five, nine. So it was, I was a very, I was a twig when I came home. Um, but yeah, that's when a lot of other things and why I'm saying that right now is because that actually had to play a lot after my mission, that huge body image that I had to overcome. And to the point where I actually started to, um, start bulimia, I started to become bulimic um, on my mission. Um, cause I was so, I had so much worry over it and that's where it went. And I didn't, I didn't know what else to do. You know, I started to make myself throw up and it wasn't, it wasn't good at the time, but the bad thing, it's not fault of anyone, but this is just how the, the, the world crumbles, um, and falls toward 
you is when I came home from my mission, everyone congratulated me coming home and everyone was like, Oh my gosh, you look so good. Like Koji, you look amazing. And so for me at that time, I was like, Oh, well, this is the way that I need to lose weight, you know? And so ingrained in me, bad, bad thought process of how I was not losing weight healthily. I was not taking my care of my body in a very good way. Um, and I knew that though, because I've always since high school, because I was very self-conscious about my weight, I really got into health. And I think if I didn't have that though, I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, so, um, in love about health in the human body. So when I came home from my mission, I was thought at the time I, I was porn free, but I still had the problem that was brewing within me. And I was still battling with body dysmorphia. I would not really eat um, on purpose and things like that. And I was going to slick at first um, Salt Lake Community College, which is a community school in, in Utah Valley before I went to the University of Utah. Um, just to do some of my jet for the first year. And I did one semester um, and my first semester. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is what it means for girls to check you out. Like, I honestly did not know what it was. Even if I was clueless or not, I did not know what it was like to feel that girls or someone was looking at you and checking you out. And people were, and I could tell. And I was like, oh, well, and that was another thing that added on to my like, another big plate of like that weight on me that like, Oh, you have to stay at this weight. You can't any more weight. Cause if you do, no one's going to like you. You're not, you're not going to date. You're not going to get married. You're not going to find a wife and have a family and, and, and do all these things. Um, and I was thinking at the time porn was away from me. Um, but in okay, let me think. I came home in 2015 and I started school. So in 2016, yeah, I was in 2016. Um, it was the spring semester um, at Salt Lake Community College, and I wasn't working, and I wanted to get a lot of done. So I took 21 credit hours. Wow. Um, at the time, it was it was a lot, um, a, a lot, a lot, and I that's kind of when things started to, um, hit the fan. Um, it was building up. Um, and I didn't know it was building up. I had so much stress from school because for me, another thing that played is academics is a huge part of my life. Um, I've been very, I would say I've been very a hard worker at school and done well in school. And I've always <laughs> I joke with my friends, you know, um, I'm an Asian, not a Bijan. Um, so getting A's is, was who I was. I, I never got below an A and, um, up to that point, And I still didn't. Um, and that always weighed on me, especially because I wanted to go to medical school at the time. And I, um, was like, okay, well, grades really mean. And I know a lot of people that are in that go to graduate school, whether it's medical school, PT school, PA, or 
any other dental school, like grades really do matter in college. Um, and so I was like, I have to get A's. So with taking 21 credit hours, it was a lot. And so after that, I went out to California and I did summer sales. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I know I, I chuckled too. Um, but I only did, uh, about a month I did, I did sales. It's because my brother-in-law, he, um, was head up of a, a company of a pest control company. And I went out, uh, he asked me to go out. And so I decided to, and two of my other brothers didn't never wanted to go out. And I decided I would, cause I'm, I would say I'm a little bit more extroverted than my two other brothers. Um, and I was like, yeah, okay, that's great. And I went out and that was the first time I was alone though. I had other, like my family, I lived at home when I was in at slick and, and I had people to just like talk if I was stressed with school, but I was super alone, honestly. And that's when everything just like everything piled together and it finally hit it. It was that straw that broke the camel's back. Um, I didn't like, um, summer cells. So I, um, didn't want to. I guess not do not be friendly to the people that extended an arm to, and to see if I would do well at summer cells. So I stayed out there and I sprayed homes and I was alone because the people I lived with were all summer cells. And so they would get up at nine o'clock in the morning, but I would have to be at the place at five and then they would come home at 12 o'clock at night, but I would have to be up at four. So I would be going to bed at eight. Um, so I never, I didn't, I was alone, even though my sister was out there cause she was far away with her family, like an hour away. Cause, she, um, but like I had to work constantly during the days of the week and, and manual labor is hard. It's very demanding. And I didn't have anyone else to talk to. And I would come home to an empty apartment. And that's when I started to look at her because I had a lot of stress of that, of just being alone. And that's, and I would, at that point, I would look at porn and I would feel bad. So I would eat a lot, but then I didn't want to gain weight. And so then I would make myself throw up and then I didn't want to, and I knew that was bad. So then to make myself even feel better from throwing up, I would look at porn and then it would just be that cycle over and over and over again for that entire summer. And it was probably one of the hardest summers of my entire life because I didn't know what to do. So I would say now life is a lot more challenging. You know, I'm, I am in school, like last quarter, I had 34 credit hours wow. in graduate school. Um, so I, and it's any other graduate school is a lot. Um, and it's, it's a lot right now just because I'm doing the accelerated route. Instead of four years of chiropractic school is a four-year degree, I'm doing it in three years. And so just because you can, but I know how I can actually, I guess, solve that stress, decompress and actually understand. But at the time and, and that summer and summer sales, I didn't know what I could do to make myself actually feel better in a healthy way. I would look for things that were unhealthy that would make me feel better for 10 minutes. And then it would actually make me feel worse. Actually, it really just makes you feel better for a second for 10 minutes. And then it just makes you even feel 10 times worse. So it really does the opposite. Um, but your brain doesn't think that way. And I didn't, I didn't know that. 
And so um, that's when I came back and that's when I started school at the U. So I started school at the U and that's when I started more classes for medical school before it was Gen Ed. So I started more of like organic chemistry and I started all these other things. And that's when at the U I was just getting, I was just surviving at that point. I was just getting up, going to classes. And then, um, I was working at a research place, um, at the U and I, um, honestly was just, it seemed like my daily routine was get up, go to school, go to work. Or when I ever had work, come home, study, look at porn and rinse and repeat. And it was just like that. And I would, and I would have so much shame um, because I know now that none of us as sons and daughters of God want, we all know what is wrong and none of us want to feel that way about things. None of us wants to be an alcoholic. None of us wants to look at porn. None of us wants to struggle with not feeling loved or accepted or even with weight. You know, I do believe that we are all, we have the light of Christ in us. Um, we have that knowledge um, of that soul inside of us that we know what is right. And none of us wants to be that way, but sometimes we just don't have the tools nor the means or what to do to make us actually succeed. And so that's what it was. I didn't really know at all what I was, I was doing. And for me at the time, um, I started to become inactive in the church, um, started to not going to church at all because I had so much shame. It wasn't that I didn't believe in the church or anything. I did. But I felt so much shame that I was a terrible person for going to church, that I shouldn't be taking the sacrament. I should not be even calling myself a priesthood holder. And I just had so much shame. And that's why ever since that summer, I did not take any girls on dates because I was like, I am not going to date because I do not want to give girls this burden. I, I felt I was such a burden. So I don't want to give girls, um, or uh, dates or, uh, have a girlfriend and be a burden to them. And I never wanted to. And so that's why I never, I never dated, um, all my friends, all of them like got married and did all these things, but I didn't, I never wanted to, because I didn't want to do that to, um, uh, someone. Um, but that's what I thought. And that's what I played in my mind. That's the, those are the thoughts when it's not girls or doesn't matter if it's guys or girls, uh, we are not, we are all as a human race, we are all very accepting and, and, and understanding. And I think that the thoughts and the sayings that we say in our head are way a hundred times worse, times worse than what actually people think about us. Um, so at the time too, I had this feeling from my mission that, you know, 
my righteousness dictates how good a person I am, or my following the commandments dictates how well loved God loves me. Um, and I didn't understand because as again, I said, I'm an academic person and I was doing really well in, in school. I was doing really well in this class called anatomy and I did not understand. And that even made me have more shame. So it was really weird, but I would do well on tests and then I would feel shameful because I shouldn't be doing well on tests because I'm looking at porn and I'm, I'm disobeying like God and I'm a bad son of God and things like that. And I'm a bad returned missionary. Um, and like, it really ate at me because, um, so, and that, this was the, and why I say that is because this was the quarter and it was in 2017, spring of 2017. So a year later from the summer, uh, summer cells that it really hit me and my depression got, got at me that, that semester, my depression got really, really bad. Um, and it was all of that was eating up on me. And I think what really was again, another straw that broke the camel's back was at the end of the quarter, I, um, the end of the semester, sorry, I'm in quarters right now in chiropractic school. So at the end of the semester, I was, um, I did really well at my final in human anatomy at the university of Utah. And I did well enough that I finished, um, very high enough in the class. Um, I finished, um, very high that I was selected to be come a, a teaching assistant, um, in the anatomy lab. And he only selects, um, the top 20 students, um, who take his course. And he has like 600 kids. And I didn't really understand why, why me out of 600 kids that I would be doing well enough to be able to become an anatomy TA. Um, even though I really, I wanted to be, um, because I, I really loved anatomy, but I felt so much shame that I shouldn't be like, I shouldn't do well because of the decisions that I'm making. And so uh, May of uh, May 12th, I think 2017, I attempted suicide and it was a very, um, a very hard thing of that me looking back now of that I had so much shame that I wanted to end my life thinking that that was the answer but obviously it's not and I think we all know it's not the answer and um I remember I was on my parents calendar and I literally it all hit me and when I was um uh, they're sitting there so depressed and, um, attempting or what I thought at the time I was trying to attempt, um, trying to take all of these pills, um, prescription pills, but I knew that it, at this time now, me knowing my, um, medical knowledge, I know that it, it would have just made me go to the hospital, not would have killed me. Um, but I felt a strong voice is right before I was about to take the pills that it was, you are enough. And I, and I've never felt heard God speak to me that, um, 
that loudly before. All throughout my mission, too. Never in my entire life. And so I like I remember dropping the pills and I was just bawling and I went into my parents' room and I just told them everything, everything that I was feeling. Of the pain, the shame, and the sadness, and what I wanted to do, how I wanted to die. And so they at the time were like, probably didn't know what to do. Like, you know, as any any loving mother and father, they don't want to anything bad to happen to their kid, let alone know that their child is suffering living in their own home and then not even knowing about it. And so they were really worried about me. And so it was my, my siblings too. And so um, I was going, I remember at the end of the month, I was going to um, a, a camp counselor at a weight loss camp. Um, and that was the biggest blessing of my entire life that really kick-started me again. I've had many of those in my life, but um, I had my friends in high school that kick-started me and my, and my low, and this camp really kick-started me. Um, I, um, uh, at the end of the month, I would, so after I tried to attempt suicide, I, I had two weeks and I think my parents were really worried for me because they knew I was going to go to this camp because I wanted to go I wanted to, again, I wanted to be a bariatric surgeon. So I wanted to be a stomach surgeon, you know, uh, uh, I love that weight loss too. I love health and, you know, and I, at the time I, I wanted to do that. And so I wanted to do something that would set me apart for medical school. And so I remember I was at my research lab and one of the students that was, or she was a, a mom actually accepted to go to this medical school. And I asked her what was one thing that she she would have done before medical school. And she's like, I wish I would have done one cool thing in the summer. And so I was like, Oh, okay. And she's like, why don't you go? And she said to me, why don't you go to fat camp? And you know, that's not the right way to say it. And I, I do know, but I was like, okay. And I was like, wait, like heavyweights. It's a, it's a thing. I didn't even know it was a thing. And I, that night I researched it and I, I was, I applied and I'm going to this camp. And so at the time my parents didn't want me to go. Cause I was, I was already wavering and um but i'm glad i did i i'm glad i i did go i talked to other people and i and i was fine um and um i think i went to a psychiatrist all uh psychologist also um within that two weeks and they thought they talked to me and and things like that and um and so i went out and it was the best thing for me because it really helped me direct me in the right direction um, of a path of my own calling in life. You know, um, because I went to this camp, I was able to um, see what my true um, talents are in this life. You know, we all have different talents. And I'll have different occupations, I believe, that we are destined to do or chosen to do because we have these things to help. And I went to this camp and I met these kids. It was a camp. I was a um, for weight loss. So these kids are overweight and obese and they are 
from 11 to 18 years old. And it was the saddest thing I have seen in my, um, my life, even more sad than the poverty that I saw in, um, Lima, Peru. And it was because this was in my own country. Um, this was in my backyard, honestly. And I would see kids that are in eighth grade or in seventh grade, um, that want to end their life that because as camp counselors this was a small camp we were able to know about a lot of these kids and we would talk about them and before they came to camp we they actually had the story and our the camp the leader would actually talk to us about it um each kid and again this is very confidential of these things that they would tell us but these stories were just very devastating more harder. They went through more things that were way hard. And I was, I was like 22 years old and they are 12, um, 15 like years old teenagers. And they're going through the hardest thing. I remember this one girl, um, she, um, her father, she was, uh, uh, two months apart, I think her, she saw both of her parents get killed. One month, she, her dad was shot by a gang. And then two months later, she was walking out of the grocery store and her mom had a heart attack and died. And she was with them both times when it happened. And she saw them die. And I was, and at the time, you know, we're there to, to help these kids. And I could speak about this camp oh, this could be another podcast because I love this camp and um, I love everything that they do there. And um, I, one, the kids really touched my life. Two, I learned about how I want to be on the preventative side of healthcare. And three, um, just like the, the kids learned that they could choose their own life. I learned from them that I could choose my own life also. Um, and the reason was the biggest thing, the impact was, so at the beginning of the camp, these kids, um, they are supposed to do all these tests. So a sit up test, uh, a sit to stand test, all of these kind of like athletic kind of just to gauge them. And it's not for us. It's really just for them to see their improvements that they get over this eight week period and they get to run a mile. Um, so at the beginning, most of them all walk the mile at the beginning. And then at the end of camp, the eight weeks, a lot of them are able to run an entire mile. And it is so cool to see the joy on these kids' faces to know that you know, they can choose their own destiny in life and they're not succumb to their own coping mechanism, just like I had my own coping mechanism of looking at porn, their own coping mechanism of food, you know? And I, um, I learned a lot from them and I, and I got a lot, a lot of good friends, um, two, two girls. In fact, that were my very close friends that I met from there. They were also camp counselors. Um, uh, Anna and Maggie that are in, um, Missouri. And, uh, they helped me a lot because I was able to talk to them about the things that I was going through just before camp. And, um, I came home from camp and I realized I wanted to do 
preventive, preventative um, medicine. I want us to stop the people ever from ever having to get to the point of losing weight. I mean, of um, not losing weight, of getting their stomach cut out, part of their stomach come out um, to then like prevent them from ever having to get bariatric surgery. So I thought of doing PT school and registered dietetic school. And that's when a lot of things came into place. And I did that. And again, I, I still had pornography off and on, but not as bad. Um, and then I think I got the stress of knowing what I was going to do after college, um, and things like that, um, that I was looking at more frequently. And I, again, that shame came. So, but now to the point I have been talking to a uh, psychologist at the time for my depression and I wasn't taking any, any antidepressants, but I was monitoring it and I was doing okay with my depression. It wasn't really completely gone away. Either was my porn. And so, um, luckily again, again, this was a perfect path of my own life. I was supposed to be here. I believe, um, I was a human anatomy TA and our teacher brought in a lot of different professionals to expand our anatomy knowledge. So we got radiologists, um, uh, OBGYNs would come in and we would have, we had this chiropractor one time that came in and he talked to me about this. He talked to all of us about this muscle technique and he made this amazing thing um, of this girl that I knew, like I was sitting next to her that like she couldn't touch her toes and then he worked on her and did this muscle technique and then she could touch her toes. And I was completely blown away. Like didn't really. And she was like, I've never been able to touch my toes. It's just a weird thing. But why I say that is because there's a reason why I was doing really well in school and to become that anatomy TA, because if I didn't become that anatomy TA, I wouldn't have been exposed to this profession that then would have made me go to chiropractic school. And I know that this is my right path. So why I'm saying that is because there's a lot of things in life that you don't really understand the reason it happens, but you look back and it all lines up and it's all for a reason. And I, again, because of that, I went to this chiropractic clinic. I've never gone to a chiropractic before. Cause you know, I thought they were quacky and wacky and weird. And I, um, went to them and completely solved my shin splints. You know, I had shin splints for a year at a PT clinic. Cause I was a PT, um, aide and, you know, my shin splints never went away, but I went to them and they went away within two, two visits and I was able to run without shin splints. So I was, I was amazed and I was like, okay, I am doing, I'm going to this. And so I went right in again. I'm another person that loves to just jump into, I'm very spontaneous and very quick thinking. Um, I make up my mind very quickly, even though I don't think all the way through. And again, that's why I did a full Ironman when I haven't trained up for it as much compared or took a long time or, or things like that. And I was like, no, I'm doing this. And so I worked at the clinic and then I got exposed to a lot of other things. And, and then I'm at, I'm at chiropractic school. Well, at the time, before I went to chiropractic school, I was still struggling with porn. And so again, I still have that shame, that body shame, that the way, because I look a certain way, 
I'm super shameful. So I look at porn to make myself feel better. But then I also looked for another thing. And that's when I became really addicted to working out. I've always been, I always have loved working out, always have loved it. But I got really addicted because I was like, you know what? I'm going to do something really hard. And, you know, I, again, at the time, I did not believe in myself enough. And so I was like, I'm going to make myself do something really hard that I have to make myself believe myself. And so I was like, I'm going to do a half Ironman. So I did a half Ironman and I was like, okay, I need more. I need to know this is, I still feel kind of the same. So I was like, I'm going to do a full Ironman and I'm going to make myself feel better. Um, Cause I'm going to, I'm going to, and then at the time I had a really good friend who I'm really close with the Dallies and um one of their daughters named Janie Daly was like, Oh, you should do uh, a full Ironman. You should, you should try to qualify um, for Kona. And I was like, no, I can't do that. I'm not that fast. And so she was like, no, you should totally do it. Well, not only was I a lot of hard work, but I had a lot of mental and emotional power wanting to do it because I wanted to make myself feel better to get away from this porn habit. I wanted to get away from looking at porn. And I felt probably at the time, the only way to stop is that I need to, I need to be the top 2% of the earth that do an Ironman and I need to compete in Kona. And so I, I got it. I got that goal I wanted. And I was like, I competed in Kona and I finished Kona and I crossed the finish line. And well and behold, I was the same exact person. I was no one different. I, 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 I didn't have any extra superpowers because I completed an Ironman, you know, um, even though my mind at the time thought I was going to. And so I was, I got even more shame from it. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I, I shouldn't, you know, I've done this hard event. I've done really well. I'm this high elite athlete, you know, I shouldn't have these problems, but you know, no one's, um, everyone's going to have these problems if you don't address them. Um, shame's just not going to go away. And so that's when I stumbled on Sarah Brewer. I stumbled her on her on Instagram and I then that's when I started to learn. I started to learn that not only that I am the own in power of my own choices, but the biggest thing that I can remember that when she talked to me, when we had our little one-on-one meetings, um, cause I hired her as a coach, um, that instead of either we have, we think that we always have two options, you know, we can think we can, let's say a diet. Cause a lot of people can resonate with this. Cause a lot of people do this. So you can either not eat sugar or a diet. Let's say your diet is no sugar. You can not eat sugar or you can eat sugar. You only have two choices. You can just resist, resist, resist eating sugar, or it gets too much. And you're like, Oh, you know what? I'm just like, I don't care anymore. I'm just going to just screw it. I'm just going to eat sugar and I don't really care and become apathetic to it. But the other option she told me, she's like, you know, you can just feel yourself wanting sugar. And I, I did not, that never was talked to me about. So when she said, you can feel yourself wanting porn, but you don't have to look at it. And to top it off, you're not a bad person for even wanting to look at porn 
or even looking at porn. And that was just brand new information to me. Like I have never heard this in my 20, like 25 years of life. I was like, oh my gosh, this totally makes sense. And I started to have enough belief. You know, I believed in myself enough to complete an Ironman. I finally got to the point to believe in myself enough to quit porn, that I could do it. Um, that I just wasn't, you know, you hear it all the time that you're going to have to live with porn the rest of your life. Um, you're just going to have to deal with it. You know, it ruins families. If you look at porn, you're going to become a pedophile, like all of these things. Um, but it was just very eye-opening to me. And that's when I started my journey of quitting porn. You know, it, it took a long time. Um, took a while. And, um, but I loved that because it made me learn about other things of how to control other things in my life. Um, and to get the things that I, I, I want and I need. Um, being able to do certain goals that I want to, and it's all because of porn. So at the time through high school, through my most depressive state, I was like, porn is the worst thing that ever happened to me in my life. But I can honestly say now porn is the best thing that has ever happened to me in my life. And it's, it's, it's really it's not weird to say it anymore, but I remember when I first started to think it, or when people would, Sarah used to tell me um, that maybe porn is a good thing. I was like, what? No, it's not. It's a terrible thing. But now I, I, I do believe, and it's not because porn itself, it's because of the lessons that it taught me, you know, the lessons that I was supposed to learn. And I think that's why God never interfered as, as much. He, he really did though. Cause he helped, he had a lot of people. He sent a lot of other angels along the way to help me. Um, besides the one time that I was going to end my life that he really interjected, but other times that he didn't really, um, he was helping me, but I was able to walk on my own. You know, I was a toddler of looking at porn, but I was able to walk up and walk away from it and, and develop that new skill. And I'm very grateful for it. I'm very grateful for the things that have happened in my life. And honestly, if I didn't have porn, if I didn't have a weight loss issue or not a weight loss, a weight problem, I honestly would not be in the profession. I wouldn't know the wife that I know. I wouldn't have the wife that I have. I wouldn't be in the profession of being in chiropractic school, knowing what I want to do and having my testimony of the church. Um, um, because for example, if I didn't have the love of weight loss of even making myself throw up because I wanted to be a certain weight, cause I knew that was healthy. But if I, even if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be in the church because the time that I went inactive, probably about two, uh, no, I went quite a, a while inactive, um, three years, um, four years, maybe could have been longer. Um, the thing that tied me to the church was the word of wisdom. Um, and it's because of, and that's because of the health side. And it, and so what I'm saying and why I say these things is because we all have different things that resonate with us. 
we all have things that either anchor us to God, anchor us to the church, or and anchor us to our reason why. And we all have different ones and that it's okay. And we all have different struggles. You know, a lot of people might have different struggles with porn. Um, they might have different struggles of, of anything in life and that, and that is okay. And am I going to understand everything of every struggle that people go through? I'm not. Um, but I know that someday I will, and it might be after this life. But I know for a lot of the things that I went through with porn and other things, it was because I needed to become this man. And it's not because I'm a manlier man because I'm not looking at porn. It's because I'm more of a man because of the struggles and the things that I have gone through that have really shaped me to the person that God wants me to be so that now I can help other people. Now I can extend a hand to people that are struggling, you know, and, you know, the scripture of mourn with those that mourn. I really feel that I can mourn with those that mourn. I could, I, I was able to mourn with those, those kids at the weight loss camp with depression and everything, because I dealt with that. Um, and I was able to mourn with them and really understand what they were going through. Um, and so I feel very happy. Um, like I tell my wife, if she's the only person that I heal as a um, doctor, then that's what counts. Uh, and all of these school loans, it's only for her. And if, if this porn was only reasoned to help my future children um, with things, then and that's all that matters. Um, nothing, nothing else does, which coincidentally, I know it's, it's not just going to be them because just like how many people impacted my life, I know I can impact many others. Um, but I would say that is, um, a little bit of that. Um, so I, I, I did, um, I know that there are a lot of listeners or or viewers that, um, maybe are in a different aspect of their life with porn. Um, maybe they started when they were married, um, or anything like that. And for me, I was very blessed to have such a loving wife. Um, I, I would say for me, the biggest key has been honesty. I have been honest with her since we started dating. I told her about my problem on the second date. And I have been honest with her every single time. Immediately when I um, did slip up, I would tell her and we would talk about it. Um, I would have her listen to Sarah Brewer's thing so that she could understand because a lot of these concepts are not things that are talked about um, at first. I would say more and more they are, but it's still kind of a a new way of thinking. And I don't think it's a bad way of thinking, Um, but I've had very good discussions with my wife and I would say, honestly, it's uh, what has brought me to have such a strong relationship with my wife, with my soulmate and my best friend is honesty with everything that we, that I do. And so I know if I, if I ever do slip up, I don't ever feel scared to tell her because I think it's because I got to the point that I don't connect looking at porn or feeling that I want to look at porn to my, um, to how good a person I am. Um, I don't connect those two at all. They're completely different. And these are just actions that happen, you know, and, and it's okay, you know, and 
I've come to the point too, you know, we're all in life to learn. We're all in life to grow. And, you know, these are things that I had to learn. And I bet you there's a lot of, a lot of other things that I will have to learn and I'll keep learning. And um, so I don't think it's ever bad of what any other decision decisions I make. So let's say that's it. Koji, there's a lot of people that have been really blessed by what you just shared. You're a wonderful communicator. You're very good at sharing honest thoughts. You've um, very transparent on your journey. Um, I've learned things, listeners. There's probably things that you wrote down that are different than I wrote down, but um, I'll just share some thoughts and I'm going to ask Koji some more questions. We're going to put Koji's email in the show notes. Koji's willing to, if you want to reach out to him, email's the best way to communicate with him. So look in the show notes. If you want to talk to Koji, um, I love this concept. You are enough. It's something that I believe really strongly in and it came to you in that very powerful person revelation, but it's something that I think we should teach. It's part of our doctrine. It doesn't take commandment keeping or personal progress, but just because we're divine children of heavenly parents, we are enough. And our worth is set. One of my guests said our worth is set. Everything else is experience. And I think if we can go where you are, which I think is consistent with our doctrine, we are enough. It helps us to be able to move forward in a way that then became possible for you. Shame is a big theme of your of your message. And um, listeners, when I was, you know, I've talked about this in the past, but when I was called to be a YSA bishop and start to meet with great people like Koji, I had no tools. Um, to really, and I've really tried to understand this space, but the word shame and guilt were the same word for me. And I've realized they're not. Guilt is more hopeful. It looks forward. Um, it's full of hope that things are going to get better and I have better tools and any mess ups I've made are just part of my journey. I'm not back to square one. I'm actually one step closer to putting this behind me. Shame like Koji talks about, is just Satan's biggest tool to separate us from the love of God or the belief that we're worthy of the love of God. And Koji's done such a good job. Brene Brown says, shame says I am bad versus I did something bad. So that's a big difference. Um, And so you've got to stay off the shame road. And I recognize your journey away from the church for a period of time wasn't a doctrinal issue. It wasn't a desire issue. You're a pretty motivated um, person who puts your mind to things and accomplishes great things. You weren't being lazy like sometimes we label people that don't attend church, but this is just um, a coping mechanism in a way to deal with the shame you felt that you separated yourself from a period of time. Um, so there's, I don't think there's a rebellion in there, a desire to turn away from God. It's just, and so I think that helps us have perhaps insights to help others is um, a lot of the things you're sharing. I love um, a lot of listeners that are single and working through porn use are going to be interested in that segment with your wife and um, just opening up to your wife. And I think, and I talk about, you know, listeners, I wrote a book called Listen, Learn, and Love, Improving Latter-day Saint Culture and Ending Porn Use is one of the chapters. It's chapter four, if you want to read that. But it's these kind of, part of that is the conversation you had with your now wife and um, yeah, I think women, or if it's a man, uh, need to have permission to end the relationship. But often what I've found and this, I don't want to make this the correlated, always true story, but I get really tender here because some of these women look at men like Koji and recognize this journey actually makes them a better partner. 
and a better husband and a better future father. Koji, you have skills that I wish I had as a YSA bishop to help the youth. I've always felt listeners that porn's peaking right now because you're the first generation Koji that's had 24-7 access. I'm wired the same way as you. I needed coping mechanisms when I was in my early 20s, but um, pornography just wasn't available 24-7. Um, and so you're the first generation that's had to deal with this, but you're the generation that's going to raise the next generation and be the leaders and the parents and the spouses. So some of these spouses recognize this journey for you while marrying someone that's had a porn use challenge is maybe not what they thought they'd do as a young woman at age 12 when they were um, conceptualizing their ideal husband or wife, but may, once the realities of life and the Christ-like attributes that come into your life and being totally open and totally vulnerable and totally real and building a, a marriage not based on perfection, but based on being real and honest and vulnerable, is the kind of marriage that is so helpful going forward and so helpful for your kids. This is another podcast when you're my age, Koji, but you and your wife can talk about this journey with pornography and how it's given you the skills to help your kids. And they may never have a porn use problem, but they're going to be able to talk to you about the realities of their life because um, you're going to know how to create a safe place within your family culture that your kids are going to know how to open up to you about the reality of their life. And to me, that's one of the great blessings that's coming into the lives of our youth as they're working through this. Now, neither Koji or I are inviting people to look at porn to develop Christ-like attributes, um, but it is the reality of your life road, and I love the way you look at this as a positive thing that's given you better tools. And so um, there's so many wonderful nuggets. Your whole journey to... Um, change your career. I think you're perfectly capable of being anything you wanted to be in the medical world. Um, we have a brother-in-law that's a chiropractor in Houston, and he blesses so many of his lives. And um, I love that by choice, you've chosen to be a chiropractor because of your love of people, Koji. Um, so, and I love that you recognize that this was a coping mechanism and <laughs> That we need to get to the root of the problem and the part of the thing that I think Sarah Brewer gave you is just permission to feel these feelings at times. Um, I think that's part of the therapy we've talked about in the past on this podcast with Dr. Cameron Staley and other guests. I think they've called it the ACT therapy. I don't know if that's the same therapy or different one, but I don't want to sort of endorse one therapy over another, but a consistent theme is just giving you permission to feel these feelings and not feeling shame for healing out your wired and recognizing that, okay, the cycle could start, but there's no sin in just the feelings you're feeling. Um, and that's where agency is still present. But if shame then, and I'm a bad person, I'm not honoring my priesthood. And, you know, one of my guests talked about a spiral and he says, every time he messed up, he felt like he was one step closer to being up at the top of the spiral versus at the um, back to square one. I think Satan wants to think we're back at square one. And I think the Savior would put his arm around you and say, you're one step closer to putting this behind you and learn from your mess ups. Lapse is where you, you know, just binge and you give up and re or relapse is where you binge, give up. Lapse is where you, and I talk about this in the book, you look, yeah, you messed up and that's a sin, but you look at it as a learning experience and try to connect the dots on what happened, which you've done so masterfully. And often you need people um, therapists that come into your life that can help you connect the dots and understand. I talk about the iceberg listeners to 
you know, porn often is what's at the top of the iceberg. And often you can white knuckle it for a period of time. You can even get on a mission where it's easier to white knuckle it, but you've got to do what Koji's done. You've got to get to the bottom of the iceberg and understand what's going on down there. And that's the path to healing. And you've done that. Um, so other listeners will pick up things that are helpful. Um, but it gives me hope, Koji, when I talk to you, and I realize I haven't talked to you since Mission Prep in 2013, our paths have crossed a little bit, but respect for who you are. Um, and, you know, people my age never could have done what you're talking about at your age. And we're learning to have vulnerable, authentic, real discussions, and we heal and help each other when we're vulnerable and real and authentic. So what you've done, you don't want to be called a hero in any way because you're just a humble guy. But I look at you finishing Kona that I can understand a little bit, um, maybe a little bit. And I think what you've done with your journey to, to understand, develop tools and, and put pornography behind you is one of your greatest life accomplishments. And I love where you look at it as something I used to think, and I'm talking a lot here, listeners, I want to make Koji get, I used to think repentance was like this, you know, we used to be able to splice out tapes in my day. Um, you'd actually, you know, before you had audio software to eliminate a segment in a podcast, it would all be on tape and you'd splice tapes. And I've always thought that's what repentance was. It just spliced out this time of our life, but it doesn't. Um, the tape is still there. The experience is still there because all the learning is so needed as part of mortality. So we're, if you're feeling shame and hopelessness and you're not living up to your priesthood or any of those language you put into your own mind or you hear at church sometimes, and it just puts you in this shame box that, gosh, if only people really knew this part about me, they would hate me. And it gets you into a suicidal place. You just, and you've got to get off of that road and, and realize you are enough and God loves you. And these experiences are for your good. And I've always felt like messing up is part of mortality. Um, I don't invite people to mess up, but real age, a real test of our character is what we do. Um, especially when we're feeling no hope. And if we're able to just make our way forward, um, I'll read this quote now because I read it a lot, listeners, and I won't read it at the end because I want to Koji if I can find the quote. And this is um, who Koji is, and many of you are, and we're all this. It's Henry Noren, I'm a Catholic priest that talks about the wounded healer. A minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led out of a desert by someone who's never been there. So you're the wounded healer, Koji. It's a great blessing. Um, and you can lead people out of sister deserts because you know the principles. And Elder Holland's a wounded healer because he talks openly about some of his you know, journeys with um, depression, and it just made my love and respect for all Elder Holland. But um, you have a life of being a wounded healer. You're going to do that with professionally um, being a chiropractor, but you're going to do that with what you did on Sarah Brewer's um, video that I came across by accident. I go, I know that guy. <laughs> and now what you've done on the podcast, and we'll link to Sarah Brewer so people can um, be aware of her and her work and and we'll link to Koji's email, but I want to turn it back to you, Koji, to take as much time as you want to with any additional thoughts you have. Um, 
well, uh, first of all, I want to thank you for, for, for doing this and for letting me come on um, and reaching out to me um, because it's a blessing to even talk about it and to relive the feelings um, that I had to know how far I have come. Um, but I, I do, um, I'm grateful for my path. I'm grateful for the things that not only that I have been through, but that God has placed in my life, these challenges, you know, um, a lot of life lessons that we get every single day. Um, and that we can choose, we have a, and if it wasn't for being able to choose, we honestly wouldn't be able to learn these things and to touch other people's lives. And, um, I honestly didn't know the power of choice of agency of why it's such a crucial thing until going through these things, because I wouldn't be the person at all I am today. If it wasn't for me being able to choose my own life and to, make my own decisions and fall on them and um, make mistakes or, or things like that. Um, if it wasn't for that. And I, I think that I'm glad that getting into this mindset of, like you said, the iceberg, because I, I believe with that um, and functional medicine. And I believe that, you know, that's a lot of us in life of a lot of things, you know, there's a bigger, things that we need to actually look at the root of the problems, you know, like with, with anything in life, um, with the, all of these things that people are going through and these, their own trials, um, whether that's, um, that's chronic disease or some type of addictive behavior, um, anger or all these things, there's all of these deeper issues that need to be solved first. Um, and I, and I do believe that. And, um, I, and I do, I, I just want to re-echo what you said about your own worth. Um, I was talking to this kid the other day about my experience on a mission. And the one thing that I, believe and I have learned now is that your own worth is not tied to your obedience to the commandments or who you think you should be or you should or what you should do. It's just who you are in general. And um I think that it's not to say the fact that we don't need to be honest with ourselves in the mirrors, you know, and tell our own faults and have us work on things because you know, that's where we actually make improvements, but just because we have faults doesn't, they're not minus, they're not, they don't negate all the positive attributes of every, of just who we are. I think they're just, um, I think when we look at things, we just need to think of them as facts and not as good or bad and going to, I don't know, tear us down. You know, you don't, 10 for doing this and get minus 20 for looking at porn or you minus 20 for doing something, you know, it's just a fact, you know, you get a plus 10 and then the other is just a neutral fact that you just, that we all can just work on. And I think I want everyone to know that they're loved. And, um, that's why I'm so open about this because I don't want a person to feel that their own, 
life is not worthy of living because of the challenges that they are going through. And it's not to say that their challenges are not hard. They are very hard. And I couldn't imagine some of the challenges that people go through, but just because you're going through a challenge doesn't mean that you're less of an individual or child of God because of the things that you face. And um, I do want to, again, send my love uh, as always to my wife. Um, If I also, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be here. And she is definitely my rock and has helped me a lot more than I can imagine. And, and I think that that's another thing that we, um, as individuals, and that's why the church always talks about it. And I think that we always need to cleave to this, this doctrine or not really doctrine, but this, this, this meaning is that we need people in our life. We need a family. We need a wife, husband. Um, we need that in our life to make us grow. And it's not because the wife or the husband makes us grow at all. It's because when we have that constant love, that true love, we are able to then see ourselves as God looks at us and being able to become that person he wants us to become or we're destined to become. Um, Just great advice and great thoughts. And um, we'll kind of end now. You've mentioned just some of my favorite people on this podcast. It's kind of fun. Rarely do I have a guest that our personal circles are so intertwined. Zeke Richards, uh, he made a great comment in Elders Quorum today. We're recording this on a Sunday. Haley Eldridge, who's now married, is a close family friend, and she's terrific. I know she's a regular podcast listener, Koji. I saw her in the airport the other day, and so she'll probably hear this. Jake Jones, another great guy, and your whole family. I don't know if your brother, sister, um, in-laws, parents will listen, but this is a great, um, the Aoki family is just a terrific family, and you've honored your family today. And I think some of, I think of Apollo 13 listeners, you know, I've used that quote where some would say, you know, that great commander, when it was a very difficult situation, he stepped forward and I have the quote in front of me, he says, excuse me, sir, I think this is our finest moment. So perhaps one of your family finest moments, why it was painful, was in the middle of your attempted suicide attempt. And when you all rallied together and you supported each other and you were open and honest and completely transparent with your situation. And I, as a parent, wouldn't know everything to do, but we could all kind of have it be our finest moment as we all went deep into a complex situation and tried to pull together. So maybe that's an Apollo 13 finest moment. Um, I love your wife. I've never met your wife. Um, I love the way you talk about her. And I just think you have a terrific marriage. We're Facebook friends. I've seen um, wedding pictures of the two of you. You look just terrific. And great. you both have a great life ahead of you. And listeners, that's partly talking. Both of us are talking to you that want to be where Koji is. Um, and want to be able to put this behind you and feel like you can get out of this difficult spot you're in. But I think there's one of the things I invite listeners to do is write your own story. There'll be think principles from Koji's story um, with the different things he's done, but don't necessarily do it just like Koji. Um, you've got to take the principles that Koji's taught. There's career principles, there's 
um, getting over porn principles. There's um, stepping back into the church, and perhaps if you stepped away, how you can step back in. Uh, but don't don't be so binary that you say this is. Exa- I'm going to do exactly what Koji is. <laughs> um, take his story, um, act on the personal revelation you receive, and write your own story. Um, especially if you're trying to put porn behind you. But there's also nuggets in here about career, um, about how to navigate other things that are probably very helpful for some of you listeners. So anyway, Koji Aoki, um, great job on this podcast. Thanks, listeners, for all you do to support this podcast. We'll put Koji's email in the show notes. I'll also put a link to my book. You can read chapter four that um, talks about ending porn use. It's the kind of chapter I wish I had read along time ago, but I wish I'd heard stories like Koji, um, because I think we're doing better. And any final thoughts before we sign off, Koji? Um, no, there's, there's no thoughts. Thanks for <laughs> what you're doing. And um, I think just like I'm doing, everyone has their own unique story. And, and that's what's, what's amazing about us. Um, and that we can all help other individuals all the time. And I think that's what we are destined to do. So, so listeners, this is Richard Osso, your host, and Ko- Koji Aoki signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.